Hello, I'm Brother Michael Lankford. Our podcast is called Discipleship Answers. This is a podcast where I answer questions that people have sent me as it pertains to how to walk as a disciple and how to make disciples of yod heh Almighty God, and of Messiah Jesus Christ. After more than 30 years in discipleship ministry, I have received many questions from up-and-coming disciples, and based on requests that I've received from these students, I thought that it would be wise to take some of the most prevalent questions and make them available as a podcast so that people could listen to them in their car or as they're doing other chores and what have you. And so was born the podcast Discipleship Answers. I bid you welcome in the name of yod our Heavenly Father, and His Son, our Messiah, Jesus Christ. Today's question, Brother Michael, why do many people leave Christianity after reading the Bible? Another question, Brother Michael, I've heard you mention vain worship from time to time. So what does vain worship truly mean, and why is it so bad? Neighbor, I want to thank you for your questions. I put both of these questions together as one, because the answer is the same for both questions. And so if you answer one, you'll answer the other by default. So why do some Christians leave the church after reading the Bible? The straight answer is this. Many times what people are reading in their Bible and what they are being told or experiencing in church does not often match with what they're reading in their Bible. Meaning that the church and its leadership is saying one thing, but the Bible is telling them something different, and oftentimes even something opposite than what the church is saying. So, these believers are often confronted with a very uncomfortable task of having to make a decision. Who do I listen to? Who do I follow? Do I go through the motions, and do I keep what the church says and does, and pretend that I don't see that they are clearly not matching up with the scriptures? Do I just keep silent and not make waves just to get along? Do I jump in with both feet into earnestly trying to obey what Scripture says and ignore church leadership and tradition in order to obey what Scripture says? But if I choose to do that, then what will I do for spiritual support and fellowship? Or do I throw my hands up and reject both the church and the Scriptures and choose to believe that people are just making stuff up as they go, so it's all meaningless. So those are the questions that people are often confronted with. Scenarios like these ones that I've just described would almost be comical if it was a cartoon, but unfortunately, it's not a cartoon. People's relationship with Almighty God and their eternal salvation is at stake here, so the decision that they make when they're confronted with this matters. This can make the difference between being saved or being condemned. That's why this is anything but funny. The reason many Christians leave churches after reading the Bible is because they want to follow what the Bible teaches and they do not want to follow traditions of men. Once you start reading and studying the Bible for yourself and you start learning what a lot of Christian churches do is actually against the Bible, they don't want to commit what Jesus said was vain worship, so they leave. Not as many people are leaving biblical Christianity as you might think. They may be leaving organized churches, but they still believe in yod Almighty God, and they still believe in Messiah, the son of yod They still believe that Messiah died for their sins and that Yahweh raised him from the dead. They still believe in following the written scriptures as best they can. The reason that many believers are leaving organized churches after reading the Bible is because a lot of the traditions 
that organized churches celebrate on a regular basis are actually against what the Bible teaches that believers are supposed to do. If a person is trying to be truly a biblical Christian, they discover that they cannot legitimately honor some of the customs and traditions and behaviors that have become so commonplace in modern and postmodern Christianity today. Because when they do that, they are actually violating what scripture teaches that believers are supposed to do. What many of these Christians are trying to do, who are leaving some of these traditional churches, they are trying to get closer to what the Bible says that a Yahweh and Messiah follower is required to do according to the scriptures. They are trying to do Acts 5.29 kind of lifestyle, where they are obeying God rather than man. So what does it mean when we say to do something in vain? To do something in vain means that we do something, but it does not have the positive effect or the useful and positive result that you would be aiming for when you did it. It literally means that you would cause something to become worthless, or to render it as useless, or to render it as meaningless. It's like the old joke goes, see if you've heard this one before, where a musician is asked the question, Hey, have you studied? And the musician goes, Yes, I've studied five years in Vienna, five years in Paris, and five years in London. And one of the listeners rises up and says, Yes, but you studied 15 years in vain. What he's really saying there is that you've been practicing music for 15 years, but you've become no better than you were when you started. He was practicing in vain because no positive results were being achieved for all the effort and all the practice that he was investing in trying to learn music. There are many things that we can do in vain. For example, Scripture tells us that it is possible to use the name of yod heh or Yahweh in vain. Exodus 20 verse 7 it is possible that we can render Yahweh's name to become useless or meaningless by not using his name properly or by using it without proper reverence or without proper respect. It is possible that our religion could become empty and meaningless. We could render our religion to be useless, meaningless, and worthless in the eyes of God. As it is written, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religious is useless. James 1.26 Let's settle in and chew on this for just a second. According to scripture, we can literally cause our entire religion to be rendered as worthless and meaningless and useless. We can have vain religion in God's eyes if we do not learn to bridle and control our mouth. James 1.26 kind of puts the importance of developing mouth control into a much higher priority bracket. You don't want our religion to become vain, worthless, or meaningless in the sight of God. What would be the point? I don't want to have vain and worthless religion. I want to have a religion that God will be honored with and will be pleased to bless me with it. That means that I must develop mouth control, otherwise I could render my religion meaningless. It is possible for people to pray in vain according to Matthew 6, 7 and James 4, 3, as it is written, And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathens do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Matthew 6, 7, as it is written, One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Proverbs 29, 8. So according to the scriptures we just read, when we use vain or empty 
repetitious words and phrases, such as a mantra or a rosary, for example, we cause our prayers to become vain prayers. When you expect that God would hear you, but you refuse to listen to His laws, His commandments, and His instructions, so you refuse to hear His commandments and instructions, but you expect God to hear you, we cause our prayers to be in vain. When you pray for blessings to satisfy your own passions and your own desires instead of seeking to please God better, you could be praying in vain. When you refuse to maintain good relationships with other believers, you could be praying in vain. All of these can render our prayers to become vain, useless, and meaningless prayers as far as God is concerned, because He won't honor it, and the prayer will not achieve the most blessed results that they were supposed to achieve. It is also possible to study in vain. Let's take a look at this, as it is written. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women, loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. This is Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. If after all of your studying, you don't know and respect God better than you did, then you studied in vain. If after all of your studying, you don't let God's word convict you and change your thoughts, your desires, your words, and your actions, then you studied in vain. If after all of your studying, you are not putting into practice the things that you've studied so as to change your life so that you become more pleasing to the Heavenly Father than you have been, you studied in vain. If after all your studying, it doesn't help you to know and obey the truth better than you did before, then all of your studying has become useless, meaningless, and worthless. You studied in vain. If you do not put into practice the things that you learn and persevere in it until it transforms your attitudes, your habits, so that you will please God, then all of your studying was in vain. The studying is supposed to transform you into a more obedient child of God. If it doesn't do that, then your studying was a vanity. Please remember and never forget that it is not the scripture that we memorize and that we intellectualize in our head that transforms us. It's only the scripture that you practice that transforms who you are and what you do. It's only the scripture that we practice that transforms us, not the scripture we know in our heads, as it is written. Therefore, laying aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, and goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, 
and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. That's James chapter 1, verses 21 through 25. We have just seen where it is possible for people to use God's name in vain, and to use his name in such a way as to render it useless, meaningless, or worthless, or without respect. We have just seen where it is possible that we can cause our whole religion to become vain. We can have our entire religion become useless, worthless, meaningless, and a vanity if we do not learn to control our mouth. We have just seen that it is possible to pray in vain. Our attitudes, our desires, and our behaviors can cause our prayers to become vain, meaningless, and useless if we are not willing to hear and listen to God's instructions, and then God will not be willing to hear our prayers. God's willingness to hear us is in direct proportion to our willingness to hear and follow His voice. We just saw how it is possible that we can study in vain, always studying, but never really coming to a knowledge of the truth. If we study and we grow in intellectual knowledge, but it doesn't make us more obedient to God's commandments and instructions, if we study, but in the end we don't know God any better, and we don't obey God any better than we did when we started, then our whole studying has been in vain. Now that we have a clearer understanding that in this context vanity means that you are doing something supposedly for God, but God considers it to be worthless, useless, or meaningless in His eyes, then we can apply that same definition and framework to the concept of worship, and we can more clearly understand what vain worship is. One of the ways that we can learn about what vain worship is, is that we can look at what true worship is supposed to accomplish and see the difference. In basic terms, vain worship is fairly simple to understand. When you slow down a bit and you take the time to recall the purpose of worship, the purpose of worship is to honor Yahweh Almighty God. The whole point of worship is about recognizing that Almighty God, yod heh is God, recognizing who God is. The whole point of worship is about choosing to honor and respect Yahweh's authority and choosing to submit to him and his authority with respect, with love, and with faithfulness and reverence. The whole point of worship is to learn what the Almighty Creator says that he wants to receive from his people and then choosing to give God what he says that he wants and not trying to give God what we prefer to give him and then expecting God to bless whatever we choose to give him it's all about learning what makes God happy and choosing to give God that instead of choosing to give God what we prefer for God to have and expecting God to bless whatever we give him. So true worship is about finding out what God says he wants and doing our best to give him what he says he desires. Instead of saying, hey God, I'm going to give you what I want you to have. Please bless it. There's a difference. These three aspects that we just described are the minimum of true worship. That's what true worship is. Any attempt to worship God that does not at least contain these three elements of recognizing who God is, choosing to respect and honor His authority, and choosing to discover what God says He wants and trying to give Him what He says He wants and not what we prefer to give Him, any worship that doesn't do at least these three things is not legitimate worship. It's not genuine worship that Yahweh would expect. If it lacks these three things, then it's not worship that Yahweh Almighty will respect. 
So let's take a look at some biblical examples of vain worship so we get an idea. In Genesis chapter 4, what Cain did was vain worship. Why? Well, because Cain did not choose to change his offerings and his behaviors to do what would please the Almighty Father. Instead, Cain chose to try to force God to accept what Cain preferred to give God. And when God did not accept it, Cain did not choose to repent and change his ways. Cain's solution was then to murder Abel, who was worshiping God correctly, I might add, probably assuming that with Abel gone, God would have no choice but to accept Cain and accept his offerings. Cain probably thought, well, with me being the only descendant left, God would have to bless me, but not figuring that God would make a replacement. What Cain did was actually vain worship because he tried to force God to accept what he wanted to give God and was mad when God didn't accept it and tried to force the issue. We see another example of vain worship in Exodus 32, verses 1 through 10. The children of Israel had grown impatient, waiting for Moses to return with Yahweh's commandments and instructions. They decided to take it upon themselves that they would worship yod the way that they wanted to, according to the way that seemed best in their own eyes. So they decided they would copy the methods of worship and religious practices of worship that they learned while they were slaves in Egypt. They fashioned a golden calf, they built an altar next to it, they called the golden calf Yahweh. It's important to understand that the Israelites gave the golden calf the name of Yahweh. What they said they were doing was worshiping Yahweh, they were just using Egyptian methods to do it. They fashioned the golden calf, they built the altar next to it, they called the golden calf Yahweh, and then they said that the next day they were going to have a feast and a festival and a celebration to Yahweh. When you read this passage, it's critical to divide some things correctly here. Exodus 32, 1-10 is an excellent example of vain worship. Israel's perspective. What Israel said that they were doing is that they were worshiping Yahweh. They called the golden calf Yahweh. They called their celebration a feast to Yahweh. They declared that what they were doing was worshiping Almighty God. According to them, hey, we're just adapting and using Egyptian worship traditions, Egyptian practices, and Egyptian worship methods, and we're applying all of those worship methods to the worship of Yahweh Almighty God of the Bible. That's what Israel declared that they were doing. They were worshiping the real Almighty God, but they were just going to use Egyptian methods to worship Yahweh. Here's the thing. The real question, though, is not what did Israel think they were doing. The critical point is not what Israel told themselves that they were doing. The real issue is, what did Yahweh Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and earth, think about what they were doing? What was the Heavenly Father's reaction to what Israel did here? Was he happy? Did he say, well, these people put my name on what they were doing, and so since they invoked my name over this festival that they created for themselves, I'm going to bless them, and I'm going to praise them, and I'm going to honor their efforts. No, that's not what he did. In fact, if you read Exodus 32, 1-10 carefully, you will see that God was so offended and incensed by what Israel did in this incident that he was ready to wipe out the entire nation of Israel and start building a brand new Israel through the descendants of Moses. To say that the Almighty Creator was peeved 
and unhappy is to put it mildly. When it comes to worshipping the Almighty Creator, what we think and what we feel and what we believe that we are offering in worship is not the issue. The question always needs to be, does God, does yod heh think this is good? Does yod heh say that he is pleased with what we're doing? Because our opinion is secondary, third, or non-existent. But what God thinks is all important. If God's not pleased, if God's not honored, if God's not praising it, then it isn't legitimate worship, no matter what we think. If we're not asking the question, does this really please Yahweh Almighty God, then we're not asking the right question. In the end, if God is not pleased with what we have offered in worship, then our worship has been in vain. The Messiah describes vain worship. There are two main places in the Bible where Messiah has described vain worship. One is found in Matthew 15, 1-9, and the other one is found in Mark 7, 1-13. Both describe the same incident from different points of view. But the point is, it describes what vain worship is. And I'm going from Matthew 15, 1 through 9, as it is written. Then the scribes and the Pharisees, who were from Jerusalem, came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the traditions of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered them, saying, Why do you transgress the commandments of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God, then he need not honor his father and mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites! Well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth, and they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrine the commandments of men. Matthew 15, 1-9 So let's break down the things that Messiah said were vain worship. According to Messiah, when we take traditions that are handed down by human beings and we treat them as if they were commandments of God, so we treat traditions of men like they were commandments given by God, that is vain worship. According to Messiah, when we violate things that God commanded us to do, but we keep man-made religious traditions instead of doing what God said to do, that is vain worship. According to Messiah, when we treat man-made traditions as being so important that we make the commandments of God to have no effect in people's lives, that is vain worship. You can also see similar teachings in Mark 7, 1 through 13. The point is this, just because we do something and we put God's name upon it, or just because we do something and we do it in the name of Jesus Christ, that doesn't automatically mean that God is pleased with whatever we've done, or however we bring or whatever we bring to him, just because we put his name on it. Don't forget that the whole point of true worship is about recognizing the authority of Almighty God. It's about recognizing that Yahweh Almighty God is God, and that it's about knowing and recognizing who God is. Always remember and never forget that the whole point of worship is about choosing to honor and respect God's authority above all else and choosing to submit to him 
with respect, with love, with faithfulness. Yes, with grace too, but with love, respect, and faithfulness as well. The whole point of worship is to learn what Almighty God the Creator says that He wants to receive from His people. And then we choose to give God what He says He wants, and not giving God what we prefer for Him to have, and then expecting God to bless whatever we choose to give Him. It's all about learning what makes God happy and choosing to give Him that, instead of choosing to give God what we prefer to give Him and expecting God to bless it, whatever we give. In a very real sense, though, there is only one way that we can successfully avoid vain worship. According to Jesus, whenever we lay aside the things that God commanded, but we keep and we practice religious traditions that human beings have handed down, then we commit vain worship. Isn't that what he clearly said? Think about it. There's only one way to avoid setting aside the things that God commanded. And that is to practice doing the things that God commanded and not laying them aside. We may have to improve and fine-tune obeying God as we go, but the only way to avoid setting aside the commandments of God is to practice keeping the commandments of God. Please consider this. Every religious tradition that people practice, or that they do on a regular basis, had to originate from somewhere. Either it originated from a commandment that was given by God, or some human being somewhere came up with it. It became a tradition that we've handed down, or it became a tradition that we've adopted ourselves. But if it doesn't specifically originate from something that God himself commanded us to do in his word, then that means that some human being came up with the idea, right? But we just read that according to Jesus, if we lay aside what God commanded in order to keep traditions that were handed down by men, we are committing vain worship. So if we're not actively keeping and practicing the commandments of God in Scripture, then whatever religious behaviors you are doing had to come from some other human being at some point. It could be something you made up in your own head, or it could be something you learned from your parents, grandparents, or, or from traditions way back when. But the point is that according to Jesus, if we lay aside what God commanded us to do in order to keep what any human being said to do, we are committing vain worship. So the only way to avoid committing vain worship is to actively practice doing what God said to do and not to do what a human being declared we should do whenever it violates a commandment given by God. That's the only way to avoid vain worship. Do what God says, not what man has said. Do what God says, not what tradition teaches. That's the only way to avoid vain worship. That's why I focus so much on keeping the commandments and instructions of God that I find in Scripture. Because honestly, it is the only way to avoid committing vain worship. Until I see you next time, this has been Michael Lankford with Discipleship Answers. Let us pray. Blessed are you, Abba yod heh vav -Hey, Almighty God, Creator and King of the universe, who sanctifies us with your commandments, who establishes the days of our lives, and who provides us everything we need for life and for godliness. Blessed be your name. Have mercy upon us. You rightly deserve all glory, all praise, and all honor. You rightly deserve to be worshipped as you prefer to be honored. Have mercy upon us. Please wash us with the water of the Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKodesh.
and with your unfailing love, please remove any uncleanness from us that would prevent us from having excellent fellowship with you. Please forgive our sins, and wherever we have sinned or violated your laws, your commandments, or your instructions, and your standards. Please forgive us where we have come short of whatever is most pleasing and honoring to you. Mercifully forgive us our sins and many shortcomings. Apply your forgiveness through the atoning blood sacrifice of Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus the Christ. Mercifully transform us and fill us by your Holy Spirit and your unfailing love so that we will never use your name in vain, but instead we will always bring glory, honor, and praise to your most holy name. Mercifully transform us and fill us by your Holy Spirit and with your unfailing love so that our religion would never be a vanity before you, but instead help us to successfully bridle our mouth. Help us to show your loving kindness to the orphan and to the widow and to those who are genuinely oppressed. Help us to truly remain undefiled and uncontaminated by the sinful world. This is the religion that you say you want. This is the religion that you say you will accept. So help us to become more diligent about having the religion that you say you will accept. Mercifully transform us and fill us by your Holy Spirit and with your unfailing love so that we would never pray in vain. Mercifully make whatever changes are necessary in us so that you will always be able to look kindly and to act favorably upon our prayers. Mercifully incline our hearts and incline our ears to be willing to hear and obey your laws, your commandments, and your instructions. Grant that we will always be more willing to listen to you, so that you will be inclined to hear our prayers, and you will not find our prayers offensive in your sight. May you be glad to hear from us, because we have delighted ourselves in hearing and honoring your instructions. Mercifully transform us and fill us by your Holy Spirit and with your unfailing love, so that we would not study in vain. Give us grace to properly read, to rightly believe, to correctly understand, and to faithfully obey, and to persevere in obeying your instructions from your word until we are transformed in our actions in our character and in our lives to be what is most pleasing in your sight grant that in our learning we will come to know you and abide with you and in the truth grant that we will have true godliness and that we would not deny your transforming power by the way that we live Grant that our studying will produce the good fruit of a transformed life that is truly pleasing to you and a blessing to others. Mercifully transform and fill us with your Holy Spirit and your unfailing love so that our worship would never be a vanity before you. Mercifully save us that we would not lay aside the commandments of God in order to keep traditions handed down by human beings. Instead, mercifully transform us so that we will worship you in spirit and in truth. Help us to truly cooperate with you and to become the kind of worshipers that you are seeking to worship you. I want to become what is pleasing to you and the kind of person that you are seeking to worship you. You deserve that from me. 
Help me to submit to you. Help me to cooperate with you and to continually cooperate with you so that you can transform me into whatever is most pleasing in your sight. I commit myself to your merciful hands so that you can accomplish this awesome work of grace in my life. Mercifully forgive us and save us and deliver us from all things that are vain, meaningless, or worthless in your sight. Instead, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O yod vav my Lord, my strength, and my Redeemer. Omain and Omain.